Welcome to live stream number 45, 45, 45, 45. Do I hear 46, 45, 45? Uh, <laughs> that's what I do when I'm getting ready to do my stream. I do a like a fake auction voice kind of a thing to uh, to get myself hyped, to get myself hyped and ready to go. Well, I have the YouTube chat pulled up. Feel free to drop any questions or comments in the chat as we go, and I will respond in real time. Uh, first up on today's stream, we are going to be talking about remote work culture. This is a um, post that I saw come across my uh, Twitter feed yesterday uh, from GitLab, awesome remote company, fully fully remote, fully distributed. And uh, this blog post talks about informal communication. Super interesting, I think super valuable for any remote company. Um, and so basically their thing is that um, you have to be intentional as a remote company, you have to be really intentional about um, informal communication. And I've definitely seen this myself personally. Um, if you, it, it, it's not going to happen automatically. Um, uh, you know, informal communication just will not happen. People that are working remotely are going to feel, you know, pressure anytime you're on a call or anytime, whatever, to just keep it focused on work, to be productive and to their own detriment in the sense of really building uh, relationships and and obviously one of the one of the great things about having a non-remote team and a, a, a team that's local to each other is all the informal stuff that happens the water cooler talk all of that stuff so as a remote company of course there's a ton of benefits to being remote but one of the things you got to work harder on is how to cultivate those social connections um, so I'm gonna get into some of the specifics here they have a lot of really really great um, specifics on on how they do things so um, I'm going to just drill through these. So they've got their daily video call. Most people have something like this. So that's pretty standard, uh, breakout calls. Uh, so following the company call, everyone breaks into small groups for 10 to 15 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes to talk about non-work related topics. Look at that. Look at that. Non-work related so they are literally, and if you are the if you are the team lead, if you're the person responsible for budget, if you're the business owner, you're looking at this and you're cringing a little bit, right? Like, I'm supposed to pay my highly paid software developers to specifically talk about non-work stuff, and the answer is yes, because if they were in that work environment in that water cooler, they would spend the seven minutes, the three minutes, the whatever it is talking about non-work stuff at the water cooler, right? And so you you have to replicate that. And by being, I think by being intentional about these small, I mean, it's a small chunk of time. It's not four hours. By being intentional about that, I think you're going to get massive productivity gains uh, during the um, times when they're actually working, right? Uh, this is awesome too, this unconference, an in-person week-long event where we bring the entire company together for one in one location to get to know each other better. Um, you know, a lot of remote companies will do like a week, you know, we'll do like a yearly in-person, maybe it's like a vacation type thing or a retreat, they'll do like a retreat. And I love the idea of an unconference specifically um, where 
you know, it's it's an unconference is sort of a specific thing. It's it's sort of like a retreat, but it has a little more structure to it where, you know, uh, you are probably suggesting, you know, ideas for talks and then you're voting on those ideas on the fly to see who, you know, just to, to upvote who who most people want to hear talk about which topics and then you hear those. So I love the idea of that specific structure for an in-person um, group conversations four times a week, get together to virtually discuss an area of the business. Okay. So that's pretty standard coffee chats, more details on that below as well as co-working calls, uh, social hours, visiting grants. So this is a travel stipend encourages team members to visit each other by covering transportation costs up to $150 per person they visit. So this isn't a massive amount of money. We're not covering a $2,000 flight, you know, because those costs obviously do add up, but 150 bucks is going to help encourage you, right? Maybe that's a train ride from, I think a lot of them are in Europe. Maybe that's a train ride from, from Brussels to, I don't know, where, wherever you could go from Brussels. Maybe that's a, uh, in the U S maybe that's a flight from Austin to, uh, San Francisco, right? I think you can fly to San Francisco for, 150 bucks, uh, you know, cheap flight, assuming you can maybe stay, you know, that, you know, maybe you have a place to stay so you don't have to pay for a hotel or whatever. So that's a cool thing. It's a small thing, but it's encouraging things in the right direction. Um, me encouraging meetups is obviously smart. CEO house is super interesting. Members can get together in Ulrich, uh, Ulrich, Netherlands at the CEO's Airbnb free of charge. That's, that's nifty. Of course, if your CEO has a, has a fancy Airbnb, um, Slack zoom. And then the last thing I wanted to talk about were these coffee chats. Um, these are again, places where they're intentionally encouraging social chats that are not necessarily work related. So you can schedule a coffee chat. Um, and the idea is just to, literally uh talk about coffee or share a coffee talk about so talk about everyday things share a coffee tea your favorite beverage make friends build relationships so specifically hey we're encouraging you to take however long these are these an hour or 15 30 minutes whatever these are um to literally sit down and talk with somebody over coffee remotely like how cool is that that's a great idea like i want to start doing this i got i want to find a way to start doing this and then of course there's the donut integration in slack which kind of mixes uh matches people up to um to have one-on-one -on -one calls and sort of randomly meet each other these team social calls are another way to randomly connect sort of semi-randomly connect with it with people you don't know so super cool ideas there uh, that I think that all remote companies, whether you do that whole slew of things or not, I think uh, you should be taking something from from that. You should be intentionally encouraging those social connections. Of course, I'm hearing my kids yelling in the background here. Um, so I am going to turn up my volume a little bit here. All right. So this is a... Um, this is an interesting um, tweet here. I noticed. Um, I don't know if I want to mention that. I'm. I'm just hesitating because usually my content team will. Any tweets I pull up, they'll they'll mention them specifically in the content we put out, and I don't really want to 
do that. It's a little awkward, but basically, let me just put it this way. Um, uh, I saw a tweet from somebody that was saying that they wanted to hire somebody in the Bay, hire developers and designers in the Bay Area. And um, I just asked, like, out of curiosity, why do you want to hire in the Bay Area? Why not remote? Because I'm such a obviously proponent of remote work. Um, and, uh, you know, it's what a lot of what the business that flows through Commerce Hero, I just talked about in the previous segment on remote. I, I, remote work is, 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 is super interesting. And I, I saw something recently that even said that even in the Bay Area, it's getting to the point where, you know, you kind of have to have a reason, a specific reason to hire in the Bay Area just because the costs are so out of control. It's almost like the default now is remote unless you have a very specific reason to hire in the Bay Area. Um, so anyway, I just replied to that. And then and then the guy's reply was basically, um, you know, we just want to have some people to jam out with, uh, with the team in the Bay Area. And it's funny because as much as, you know, this is me sort of admitting that as much as I'm, I'm a believer in remote work, there are strengths to, to local too. I just want to balance that out when I see, you know, see other things because, you know, me and my buddy Steve have been, uh, uh, talking about tag teaming some stuff together, some projects together, and we've been working on some things and having a good time with it. But one of the things we always talk about is like how awesome it would be to work together in person to do like live streams together here in the studio and just work on stuff together. So, you know, it's funny because as much as I'm always pushing remote work and I saw that reply and I was like, Oh, we just want to jam out together. Something about that connected with my own desire to jam out with my buddy on some projects. Um, and so there is something intangible about being together. You know, I still think that nine times out of 10, you're going to get so much more bang for your buck. Uh, working remotely, you're going to get um, so much more access to talent. Um, and even in the context of my specific case of my buddy, we are finding ways to work on things together remotely because he lives in a different city. Um, so we are making that work. But at the same time, I do feel that desire of like, man, it'd be so awesome to actually be in person together. So, um, so yeah, so there's, there's a tension there. And uh, my dog is now barking super loudly, which is really cool. Um, I'm going to have to make sure that she is not in the house next time. Sorry about that. All right. Uh, streamer life. The streamer life. All right. Next up real quick. Um, what I need to figure out if, is if there's a way I can mute my microphone so I can just like yell at my family to be quiet. Okay. So got some results back on this poll that I did Magento B2B API coverage. Now we only got 38 votes, so this is not a massive amount of uh, people, but you know, 50, uh, the vast majority said that yes, API coverage is important to them. Um, and so, uh, that, I mean, that's, that's pretty much, I, I have spoken with a couple of, I, I have heard from a number of individuals who are like agency owners and, and, and people that are doing a lot of work in this space. And, um, um, and actually, uh, one of the, one of the people who replied here, um, Michael, um, who is a CTO, um, talked about what they're working on there. Um, but at, but at any rate, um, so I think this is something that's important to get B2B API coverage ASAP. 
And so, um, yeah, that's pretty much it. This is just sort of a mini, mini piece of content on that. All right. Next up, I'm starting to group together, if you'll notice. Okay, dog's barking again. I, I'm going to take a quick break. I will be right back. We're back. <laughs> that was that was awkward, and of course the dog's still barking. Turns out that uh, the groceries are here, which is why the dog is barking. So I will have the dog in the backyard next time. All right. Um, little flustered, but let's carry on here. So I wanted to. Highlight what uh, uh, Fumin, uh, Christoph over at Fumin is doing that I think is really smart with regards to um, his extensions. Uh, so in a PWA environment, we anticipate everything to be provided via GraphQL request. And this extends to extensions as well. Here's our GraphQL roadmap. And then there's a link here. And actually, uh, I first saw um, Jamie over at... Uh, JH tweet this and said, really smart. Um, other extension vendors should, basically all extension vendors, I think should follow this model. Um, and I, and I, I find myself agreeing with that. So uh, we'll just drill into this real quick. So basically what Christoph has done is that he has um, uh, gone into all of, uh, all of his extensions and sort of itemized the status with regards to GraphQL endpoints. Um, a lot of these are no front end facing elements. So they're basically nothing, nothing to do there. Some of them are waiting on core functionality, things like that. Um, uh, some of them, yeah, again, will some of them may be made obsolete by a PWA environment. Um, and then, you know, he talks about places where they're planning to add some different resolvers. Um, and things like that. So, uh, yeah. So I think that's a really smart. You know, a lot of people are trying. A lot of people are trying to figure out what is the ecosystem going to look like. Uh, what exactly are how exactly are extensions going to integrate with PWA? That's something I've been trying to think through and trying to understand. Some things are going to be fundamentally different um, from you know uh, pre PWA, where extensions could just tie hook right into front end and just output front end stuff within the layout structure. So some of that is changing and uh, this makes a lot of sense. Basically as an extension, you are going to expose GraphQL endpoints, um, resolvers. I don't, don't know exactly what a resolver is. <laughs> I assume it's like some subcomponent of a GraphQL endpoint. Um, and, and so, yeah. And so I think that um, extension vendors should all be road mapping this out because everybody's trying to figure out when is this going to be right? Like which, like, like when am I going to be able to launch PWA and then which extensions am I going to be able to plug in and things like that? So this is, this is going to help people to, 
uh, do some planning and, and, and it's going to help people to incorporate your extensions into their, into their PWA plans. So, um, so this is going to help you to get pulled into as many projects as possible. So, uh, hats off to, to Fuman on that and, uh, hopefully everybody will follow suit. Okay. Next up, this is just a, um, this is just a quick thing, actually. I so um, one of the things I was looking for recently was just a really simple way to accept Stripe credit cards with no code. And so in the past, I've just just whipped up a little bit of code to you know throw up a Stripe form and tokenize, and then save the token on the back end. And it's pretty straightforward. But the stuff I'm doing, working on some stuff right now, and just trying to really do it no code and um, I couldn't find, well, I, everything I found was like wanted to charge additional percentages on top of the 3% you're paying Stripe. Like one of the ones, one of the things I, I looked at, which is a really cool product. They charge 3% on top of Stripe's 3%, which I'm like, bro, <laughs> like that's a lot of percentages. So these guys actually um, basically charge nothing which is, I don't know how they're actually, there is an FAQ here, which is how do you generate revenue? And in the future, they'll offer a premium tier opt-in, opt-out. So that makes a lot of sense. At the moment, service is at cost. So essentially, all you're paying are the Stripe costs, which makes sense because how hard is it to spin up a service that just lets people accept, you know, th just throws up a payment form? Pretty straightforward. So, um, yeah, so that's basically so that's basically it. I just thought that was cool. I was looking for something similar to this recently, and if you need to just throw something up real quick, um, that's a great option. All right, want to talk about TikTok real quick? So I have been starting to dip into TikTok. It's one of the things that Gary V talks about nonstop as a um, a social media platform that has a lot of organic reach. Um, you know, a lot of people ignore it because they assume that, and you know what I'm realizing is that this video might be too heavy cause it plays a lot of, uh, or the homepage might be too heavy cause it plays a lot of videos. Um, so, so Gary V talks about it a lot, has a lot of organic reach. A lot of people think it's, oh, it's just for teenagers. Uh, cause there are a lot of teenagers on there, but all of these social media platforms age up. Facebook used to be just for college kids. It aged up Instagram, everything ages up over time. And so TikTok is in this early phase. And so, you know, it's a, he's always talking about how you want to get on there and start playing with it, start getting in there and, 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 and checking it out. So I've been checking it out a little bit and experimenting with creating some kind of TikTok style videos, which is kind of fun. And actually I have to say just, um, just using it is actually fun. Like it's hard to quite explain it. Like I've, I, I follow Gary V he's the only person I follow right now on TikTok, but I, you know, I follow, I see his stuff on Twitter. I see his stuff on LinkedIn. I see his stuff, different places, YouTube. And there's something about the, uh, experience on TikTok that it actually is, is more engaging. Like the type of content they put out there tends to be funnier, sillier. Um, and, and just the style of it is really engaging. Like there's just like, it's hard to explain unless you just look at the content. Um, and, and one really, really subtle thing in the UI that I notice 
which actually um, sort of prompts you to focus more on one piece of content at a time is that when you, it's not like most social feeds where you can scroll continuously through a feed. When you scroll, it goes to one, one video at a time. So if you scroll up, it just goes whoop and it shows you the next video. Uh, and then if you, and then it just is stuck on that video. And if you scroll again, it takes you to the next video. So it's not like, and actually I found that as subtle as that is, it actually prompts you to just focus on that one piece of content on a time because normally when you're scrolling through like Twitter, for example, you kind of like you give, you give something like two seconds of attention and then you scroll past it. You know, and then and then you you sort of are deciding if you actually want to read it as you're scrolling, and you're like making this micro decision within a matter of like a second or a split second. Whereas with TikTok, it's just like okay, next, and then you might look at it for like a few seconds and decide whether you want to keep watching it. But even just the difference between a half a second and a few seconds is like is actually a little bit more focused. So I thought that was interesting little UI tweak. And uh, it's been fun uh, checking that out. We're also going to try to uh, start building that into a content accelerator to, to be able, if you're doing video content, we're going to start building that in so we can produce TikTok style content based off of your long form content for you. So, um, so that will be uh, an option. Um, all right. Last thing, um, onboarding is everything. This is a... Um, pull this up real quick. It's a tweet I saw from Brian Cassell, Twitter handle Cast Jam, um, which caught my attention yesterday. Onboarding is everything. In my experience, improving the onboarding experience has made more of a noticeable impact than improving anything else. True across every type of business I've worked on, from productized service to SaaS to training products. Um, this is a thread here. Make it 100% clear the customer made the right decision to give your offer a shot then exceed those expectations, then you win. Uh, and then he writes it up in an essay where he goes uh, further into detail, um, uh, which I sort of glanced at this, this article. But, you know, it's funny. It's so, this is so good what he's hitting on here. And it, it, um, it you know, this is one of those things that I know, it's like, I know that with Commerce Hero, for example, my main business, um, I, there's so much of a better job I could be doing here. And it, and it, and it like, it's one of those things that I know I should be doing a better job of it. And I'm always aware of that, but at the same time, I don't always prioritize it. And part of the reason for me is because, you know, improving your onboarding is only going to benefit future customers, right? It doesn't really benefit your past customers. And so for me, one of the bad ways of thinking that I have is I'm like, is I'm like, Oh, well, I don't want to do that. Cause it's, it's not going to do anything for my past customers, but you know, but like you sort of discount how many customer onboarding experiences you're going to have in the future, which is just ridiculous. And it's so true because as a user, if I have a great initial exp like that first month, it really is so critical. I'm in my first month with Integramat, for example, and I'm, um, I'm really enjoying it, but, but I am running into, you know, with anything, you're going to run into some challenges. And so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm tweeting things out and, you know, some companies are more responsive on social, you know, 
response times on emails vary. Their email response times have, have been great. Their email support's been great. They're not as responsive on Twitter, which, you know, some pe- some companies make that decision to go that route. Um, and so that's part of it. Also, how discoverable is the product? I found their, their product to be really discoverable. Um, how much documentation is there for things when you get stuck? You know, what does the community look like for support that you want to get? So... Uh, it's so important to have that. And, and, um, you know, as I look at that, I go, man, I got to do a better job. And a couple of things that, uh, uh, Brian, um, has worked on. So productize is a training program really, uh, uh, that helps people, um, that helps people to build productized services, which I think is super interesting. I'm, I'm really a fan of productized services and I'm, I'm kind of building one now with content accelerator um, and, and Brian has built his own, uh, in the past. Um, uh, what's the one I'm not thinking of, which is the content thing that he does. Um, but anyways, so really, I'm sure this is really fantastic content, um, to check out. And also process kit is super interesting is a, uh, SAS that helps you helps your team to build out processes um, for, for doing different tasks and it combines sort of your documentation with your process checklist and thing like that all in one place. So this looks super interesting as well. And I, I need a, that's on my list of things to check out. But, uh, anyways, so, uh, so yeah, onboarding is everything. Um, that is all I have for you today. Apologies for the technical difficulties we had there. And, um, I hope you have a fantastic Saturday.